a young father discovers that Santa Claus isn't the only visitor who shows up during Christmas time. And then we take a look at a truly terrifying true crime story. The saga of the man known as Herbert Mullen. A man who believed the only way to save the world was to spill the blood of the innocent. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Let's go ahead and get this episode started. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, we're going to give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreon supporters, a longtime supporter of the show. Give it up for James McGrum. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. And he's, he brought rum with us. I don't drink rum. He brought it all the way from home. He's like, oh, you're not going to drink with me? I'm not a rum guy. But James, despite the fact that you brought the alcohol that's like your name, and I'm not going to drink it, but you guys can imbibe. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode, pilot responsibly. If you can't support the Patreon of the show, though, that's fine, too. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Now, James, let's go ahead and give you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Let's all pile in the back, except you. You have to drive the car. You have all the duties. We're just going to be relaxing, spreading our legs out, chilling. James, be our chauffeur. You're taking us all the way out to Orland Park, Illinois. <laughs> Specifically, we're headed to Ford City Mall. I don't know if this place still exists anymore. The fact that the word mall's in it makes me assume it's been either completely demolished or taken over by roving packs of bums. But back in the year 1974, this story takes place in December 1974, Ford City Mall was the place to be. You had all of the shops. Oh man, remember malls? Malls are so dope. Something Zoomers will never understand. You had all these stores, and you could walk from store to store, and like you could... Buy greeting cards, and then you could walk over a store and buy a book. And now it's just called Amazon. Now you can just buy all that stuff off Amazon. You walk around, you get some ice cream, you go see a movie, you go to Hot Topic. What? Malls were dope. Well, in 1974, America realized how cool malls were and people still hung out in them. And that's where this story takes place. Ford City Mall. It's a Christmas show. There's actually a school group there performing Christmas songs. Sounds like utter hell to me. I hate watching kids do stuff that they're not really good at. I hate it. But, you know, this dad's here and he's there with his two-year-old daughter. And and little kids don't know what's good yet. They're like, yay, songs. (laughs) And the dad's like getting ready to pull his hair out. He's like, oh, man. Why do I have to sit here and listen to these elementary school singers do this choir stuff? Sounds like hell. And he's also there with his ex-wife. So I don't think he was having much fun either. It's him. His ex-wife and his two-year-old daughter hearing a bunch of kids from the local elementary school badly mangle Christmas carols. But he's doing his best. He's doing his dad duty. He's there for his daughter. But he notices something during the show. His daughter's not paying attention to the show. She's staring off. Now, not like staring off thinking, oh my god, do they have any cyanide here that I can take anything into the show? No, she's actually, instead of looking ahead of the stage... She was staring down. She was like her had her head turned to the left, staring down the aisle of chairs. And she's transfixed. He sees her 
looking at something. She's not paying attention to the kids. And now we're going to sing. Now we're going to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for the 13th time tonight. That's the only song I was able to teach these kids. Before the show, you're like, Ugh. she's not paying attention to that. Her head is turned and she's looking down the row of chairs. So the dad, he is looking at, looking at his daughter and he's like, what in the world is my daughter so interested in? So he looks and follows her eye line, seeing what she's looking at. And he said, I'm sitting there and then my daughter's sitting next to me. And then there's about five empty chairs next to her. And then after those empty chairs, there is a man and a little girl. Probably that dude's daughter, right? A man and a little girl. And then you have five empty chairs. And then you have this little girl and this dude, this dad. And he goes, I'm watching this. And my daughter's eyes are locked with this other little girl's eyes. They're staring at each other. Oh, okay, you know, whatever. Kids are weird. Kids do weird stuff. But now he's kind of looking at the girl. This girl sitting five chairs away. And he realizes something. Something wrong with her eyes. Her pupils aren't round. He said they were oval. Like a cat's eye. And he's looking at this little girl. His brain can't really process it, right? That's not what a human eye is supposed to look like. Maybe it's just this weird distance between us. Maybe it's some sort of birth defect, maybe? Although I don't think there's many birth defects that can give you a different species eyes. She has cat eyes. And he says, as he's looking at this girl and he's trying to process what could possibly be going on, he's clearly seen that this girl has these cat eyes, right? That girl's father looks over at him. He's looking down at this little girl, and he sees that she has cat eyes, inhuman eyes. And when he sees the father's head turn, he looks up at the father, and his eyes were also cat eyes. You could argue again the first girl might have been some sort of trick of the light, but with you see two if you see one shadow man at the end of your bed it could just be your imagination could just be a trick of the light when there's two and then there's a third one walking into the room what am i oh i'm so sorry i'm late for the possession there's probably something going on especially since that one's talking about possessing you there's probably something going on first one might have been a trick of the light now that he's seeing that her father or what he presumes is her father also has cat eyes he realizes isn't the trick of the light and he's completely overcome by fear he's looking at something inhuman and it terrifies him to such a degree that he turns his head he doesn't even want to look at these guys and in an instant he realized that wasn't the smart move like he turned he looked away he was so terrified he looked away and he goes, wait a second, I can't do that. These guys actually might pose some sort of threat to me and my daughter. They're inhuman. I need to look at them in case I have to do something. So his head swivels to one side. And he realizes not a good idea. He turns back. They're gone. And he said, I started to look for them. I needed to find them. You would, right? You would have to know for sure. He had to know, so he started scanning the crowd. He gets up, he's kind of looking around. He's on stage, he grabs the mic, he's like, okay, uh, Rudolph's taking a break. Did anyone see those cat-eyed freaks around here? He said he couldn't find them. He couldn't spot them in the crowd. He goes, I had my head turned, I turned back a moment later, they were gone. Gone. 
he goes, you know, they look like normal people. If you're just walking by them, they look like normal people. They were dressed like normal people. They, but they weren't. There was something wrong with them. There was something wrong with their eyes. I got that story from thinkaboutitdocs.com. They got it from... They they said it was from a place called Weird Science. That's a pretty generic name. I don't know if that's a website or a newsletter. or I definitely know it was a movie and a pretty good television series. But I don't know. But thinkaboutitdocs.com, they've been so good over the years. It's one of my favorite websites looking stuff up. A great repository of truly bizarre events. And you have to wonder... What was this? Was it alien? Was it cryptid? Right? It's an interesting story because you have people, obviously aliens disguising themselves as humans. That's nothing new. There's a ton of stories like that. There's even supposedly a race of aliens called the Lyrans, which are cat people. Now, normally they're not normal people with cat eyes. They're giant cat people. They look... If someone walked up to you and said cat people... It's what you would expect that phrase to look like. Also, probably get better friends or move to a better neighborhood if people are normally walking up to you and just going, cat people. But you know, they're all furry, giant, walking, alien cats. These people are just normal humans with cat eyes. So you have to wonder, aliens? That's my first guess. But then cryptid would be an interesting one as well. If aliens disguise themselves as humans. I've talked about this before on the show. I'm sure there are cryptids that disguise themselves as humans. Outside of skinwalkers, right? Which is a fairly recent phenomenon. I'm always a little iffy on the skinwalker phenomenon because no one really... The term skinwalker has been around for hundreds of years, but the modern version of the skinwalker, no one really talked about it until people started talking about it on the X-Board maybe 10 years ago. So I'm always... I think something like that might exist, but the idea of the skinwalker as the paranormal community knows it. it the stories are so recent and they popped up pretty much in the same places where a creepypasta popped up. It could be something like that. Really, the moral of this story for me is to be observant, right? Because, I listen, I would have been there. I'm sitting there with my two-year-old daughter and my ex-wife, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to mentally shut down as these kids are going, Silent night, Paul. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God! I was like, "Oh, baby Jesus, why did you have to be born? Why, why did I have to be given eternal redemption? It, I, I would have traded that if I didn't have to listen to these horrible Christmas songs sung by these third graders. I would have not been paying attention. <laughs> my two-year-old daughter would have been up to all sorts of antics. I would have been like, Ugh. and with my head in my hands, right? I hate talent shows or pageants or whatever they are. So I probably wouldn't have been that observant." And my little girl would have looked at these freaks, stared at them for a while. She she wasn't able to process what was going on. She's two. She's only been on the planet for two years. She doesn't know what anyone's eyes are supposed to look like. She knew something was off, but for all she knew, this is how some people on the planet have cat eyes. She didn't know. So it's about being observant, but then you also have the, some. they call it the curse of knowledge, right? This guy, who didn't give his name, anonymous story, but this guy... New for a fact, and this is one of the things that people often do. They go, well, maybe I didn't see it. Maybe it's a trick of the light. Maybe I was just tired. Da, 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 da. But in the back of the head, he always knew what he saw. He saw two people who weren't people. He then had to spend the rest of his life knowing that there were other either races of humans out there that are undiscovered or there are aliens visiting Earth in disguise of humans. And it would 
make you a little more paranoid. See, I've never seen anything like this. I've seen ghosts, and I've seen shadow people, and I've seen people possessed by demons. But I believed in ghosts before I saw ghosts, and I believed in demons before I saw someone possessed by demons. I didn't know what a shadow person was when I was first seeing them. Back in the it was in the late nineties. I had no idea what it was. I just figured it was a ghost. So I've always seen things, and I ghosts kind of do live in that realm between like demons and shadow people. Everything I've seen fits my view of the world. I've never seen a space alien, even though I know that I believe they exist. Never seen a UFO. I've seen stuff that I can't identify. I've never seen up and seen an obvious flying saucer. But even then, I believe those exist. If I was talking to someone and, and I saw them shapeshift in front of me, that's outside of what I just talked about. How I feel about shapeshifters. Not shapeshifters, but skinwalkers. If I, let's say that. That's a perfect example. If I experienced a true-to-life skinwalker story where something was like imitating my buddy's voice, but it was kind of broken and crooked. Jason, come, come here. Jason, come here. Jason, come here. Jason, come here. Like, if I experienced that out in the middle of the woods, that would... I would never go into the woods again. Like, that would completely change my paradigm of how I view man versus the world. And I wouldn't... I might try to rationalize that, but I'd be like, clearly I heard... What I heard and I smelled the iron oxide. I'd smelled the wet pennies in the air. Those are smells associated with the skinwalker. I showed up with six friends. And then when we got to the cabin, there were seven of us. And no one could figure out who the seventh person was. We were all swore up and down that seven people came with us. Stuff like that. Those are, those are typical to the skinwalker stories. Which I believe might be possible. Some of them might be real. I think a lot of the elements are probably exaggerated. But if I experienced it, I'd have no choice but to believe these things were real. So that's what this man is facing, a paradigm shift. And all because he paid attention to his environment, which I'm notoriously bad at. I've talked about it on the show. That's why I would never think I was being gang-stalked, because I'm not aware of really anything going on around me. It's weird I'm both over-observant and under-observant. It's a weird, weird, weird quality of mine. But yeah, I wouldn't have been able to pick up on this, and I think most people wouldn't. I think most people just kind of buzz through life and aren't paying attention to the small details, i.e. somebody's cat eyes. I totally wouldn't even notice this, right? Maybe if I stared at it long enough, but probably not. So creepy story. These things could be far more common. They may not be relegated to the deep woods. There may be weirdness all around us in the urban and suburban neighborhoods. We just have to be a little more observant. James Magrum, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Illinois. We're headed all the way out to California. This episode's probably going to run long. That last segment was a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be, but I really, really enjoyed it. And this one's definitely probably going to be a little long. And I want to give you guys a bit of warning. This one's pretty gruesome. This is a pretty gruesome true crime tale. This is the true crime tale that you, you only see stuff like this in movies. This is a real case about a man known as Herbert Mullen. Herbert Mullen was born in April 18th, 1947. Which was a very important day to him. 
even when he was a little child, he believed that he was born on April 18th for a divine reason. Because April 18th was the anniversary of the Great Quake of 1906. That was that massive earthquake that struck the Bay Area and pretty much destroyed the city. What wasn't destroyed in the earthquake caught on fire in the aftermath. So to a young man growing up in the Bay Area, who probably even at an early age was suffering from some undiagnosed mental illnesses, he thought himself to be special, which is good. Everyone should think they're special in some way. And even his classmates thought he was special. He went to San Lorenzo Valley High School. He was voted most likely to succeed by his classmates, which is true if... You add a little asterisk to that. Succeed at being one of the most brutal yet unknown serial killers out here. I'm actually surprised they haven't made a movie about this guy. Then he truly would succeed. He would be famous. Instead, he's just insane. Because after high school, what happens? And this is the age. This is the age when when it starts to really show. He really starts to struggle with paranoid schizophrenia. 18 to 25 is the time period when that real, if you have schizophrenia, that's when it gets really, really bad. And of course, it's not just because Herbert is suffering from mental illness. He loses one of his friends, one of his really, really close friends named Dean Richardson. And he can't deal with it. He cannot deal with it. In the middle of this descent into mental agony, he loses someone very, very close to him. He begins to build shrines to his friend. And begins to become obsessed with the idea of reincarnation. And his family's having a hard time keeping him safe. Right? You would definitely worry about this young man. You know that he has this mental illness. If you didn't know it before, you can definitely see it now. He's grieving and he's taking his grief to a mentally dangerous level. He's obsessed. Not just with the death of his friend, but death in general. So he begins to float in and out of mental hospitals for a couple years. He gets committed. They try treating him, medicating him. He gets better. He leaves the mental hospital. And then, this is very, very common again, the self-medication begins. His drugs of choice were marijuana and LSD. Not good, not good, I would say it's not a good combination for anybody. If you've just gotten out of a mental hospital and you're like, see you later, talk, thanks for all the hard work on my brain. And you're like, hmm, you know what I need? I need a joint and I need a trip. Probably not a good idea, but he starts doing acid, he starts doing marijuana. A friend introduced him to these drugs. Hey, Herbert, you want to get groovy with me? And so in this soup of a brain between hospital pharmaceuticals, street pharmaceuticals, and his own mental illnesses, he begins to create this mythos in his head. He sees a massive earthquake in humanity's future. One so devastating, it will kill millions, maybe billions. Maybe it'll crack the earth in half. This massive earthquake will change life forever. The ancients knew how to stop such disasters. Human sacrifice. 
The year is 1972. He moves with his parents to Felton, California, up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's a picturesque place. This place would be Herbert Mullen's playground for quite a while. But most of this time, he's just doing drugs and hanging out. Then occasionally getting shipped off to a mental asylum and coming back and repeating the cycle. And he's allowed to do this because although he knows how the world is going to end, and even though he knows how to stop it, human sacrifices, there are humans being sacrificed every single day in the jungles of Southeast Asia. As Herbert Mullen was watching the news about the Vietnam War that was still raging, he figured the blood is spilling into the earth. It is being satiated in human gore. Thank you. Thank you, soldiers, for laying down your lives and saving the rest of us. Your deaths stave off the earthquake. But, as any history buff will tell you, eventually the Vietnam War ended. And Herbert Mullen's watching these reports and he realizes, "Uh uh-oh. The Vietnam War ends. Then how will we prevent the Earth from cracking open? Blood must be spilled. It has to. Herbert Mullen hears a voice in his head. It's your turn, Herbert. You need to sacrifice lives. He's looking around. There's no one else in the room with him. Who's talking to him? The voice he's hearing in his head is his father's voice. His father begins to telepathically communicate to Herbert. You need to do your part, Herbert. You need to start spilling blood. Through your sacrifices, you will save millions of lives. Do it, Herbert. Do it. October 13th, 1972. Herbert Mullen is having car trouble. He's on the side of the road up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And an old vagrant walks up. Lawrence White, also known as Whitey. Whitey walks up, says, hey, young man, you need help with your car? I'll fix your car if you give me a ride. How about that? Herbert Mullen, yeah, perfect. I totally need help with my car. So Whitey is fixing the car. They get it going. Whitey hops in the passenger seat. Herbert is driving down the road. Herbert said that he looked over and he realized that Whitey looked a lot like Jonah. You know the story of Jonah and the whale in the Bible, the man who was thrown overboard. So the fish would eat him, and the rest of the people in the boat could get to safety. And when he's looking at Whitey, and he realizes this, Whitey turns to Herbert and telepathically sends him a message. Hey man, pick me up and throw me over the boat. Kill me so that others are saved. Herbert viciously beats Whitey to death with a baseball bat, caving his head in, and drags his body off into the woods. Herbert Mullen knows that the big thing he needs to stop is that earthquake. 
But he also begins to become an environmentalist. That's pretty good, right? You want to be an environmentalist? He starts to believe that the local woods are being poisoned. People are coming in and they're toxifying this beautiful landscape. And he's like, what am I going to do about that? Like, sure, I can sacrifice people to stop the earthquake, but what about the poisoning? Luckily, his father's there to talk to Herbert. Telepathically, of course. More blood must be spilled, Herbert. You can stop the poisoning of the forest you love so much. Wash away the poison with blood. Thanks, Dad. Great advice. October 1972, shortly after the death of Whitey, Mary Margaret Guilfoyle, 24 years old, a young woman hitchhiking through the Santa Cruz Mountains. She has her thumb out, hoping for a ride, and Herbert pulls up. While driving down the road, while he's still driving the car, he pulls out a knife and begins stabbing Mary to death as she sits there defenseless in the passenger seat. He drags her body out of the car and realizes that he needs to test her. He needs to test her body for pollutants. So he splits her down the middle. He eviscerates her. And in the California sunlight, He's cutting out her organs and holding them up to the sun, checking them for poison. And then he would set it on a rock or hang them from a tree branch, then return to her body to pull out more of her organs. Her body wasn't found for another four months, and by then it was just bones. November 2nd, 1972. Herbert's like, you know what? I like my dad and all, but he's being totally honest with me. He keeps telepathically telling me that I can stop this earthquake by killing these people or that I can stop pollution by killing these people, but maybe I shouldn't listen to the disembodied voices in my head. I love you, Dad, but maybe something might be wrong spiritually. So he visits St. Mary's Catholic Church in Los Gatos, California. And there is Father Henry Tomei, who's actually a member of the French underground who fought against the Nazi regime of France. This guy had seen some stuff in his life. And he's probably heard some stuff just by being a priest. But definitely this guy experienced warfare under the Nazis as a guerrilla fighter. I mean, that, that's, that's something you're definitely going to put on your resume, right? Herbert Mullen goes into the confessional booth to speak to Father Tomei. And he's sitting there. He's like, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. My dad is telling me things. And I don't know if they're good things. I mean, I think they're good things because they help things. But And then he hears Father Tomei talk to him. Now, he doesn't know for sure if he spoke to him. Because you can't see his lips move, right? He's in the other booth of the confessional. Or it was a telepathic message. But I clearly heard Father Tomei say, It's my time, boy. 
I am willing to be the next sacrifice. Come over here, my son. Spill my blood to save the earth. Man of the cloth, you gotta do what he says, right? Herbert gets up out of the confessional booth, walks over to where the priest is sitting, opens the door, and kicks this priest to death in church in the middle of the day. He beats this dude to death. There's a witness in the church who sees the whole thing. What are you going to do? <laughs> Imagine who's either a nun or an old lady there praying for her kids. But what are you going to do? I mean, you're not going to get involved in the middle of that. I would hope that if you felt you were strong enough to do it, but this dude, Herbert Mullen, kicks this priest to death and then leaves. Two months later, still not caught. Two months later, January 1973, Herbert Mullen goes, you know what? It's been pretty good. It's been a pretty good year. There's been no earthquake. There's been no earthquake. Obviously, this stuff is working. There's been no earthquake. So technically, I'm not doing anything wrong. However, I do think it's probably not good for me to do drugs. I believe that I would be in a better place mentally if I never did drugs, which is probably true. I don't think anyone would disagree with that, right? But it's not just that. He goes, you know what? Not only should I stop doing drugs, that's good, we agree with you, Herbert. Not only do I believe that I should have never done drugs, we agree with that as well. I'm going to go kill the guy who introduced me to drugs in the first place. And that's where we're going to agree to disagree on that one. He ends up getting a pistol and driving up to a remote area that's dotted with cabins to find an old acquaintance of his, the guy who gave him his first joint the man who introduced him to drugs in the first place, because that is interfering with his mission. So he goes to the cabin where he knows this guy used to live. The door opens up, and it's not the guy he expects. It's Kathy Francis, a young mother. And she's there with her two sons, David, who's nine, and Damon, who's four. And he goes, hey, is, is so-and-so here? Is so-and-so here? And she goes, oh, him? Oh, no, no, no. He lives He lives in that cabin down there. He lives down the lane. That's where you'll find him. And Herbert goes, thanks. Thank you. And then she goes, oh, but while you're here, I think that that earthquake that's coming is so scary. We're really worried about that earthquake that's coming. Would you mind coming in and killing me and my two children? We would love to be sacrificed to stop the earthquake. Herbert shot all three of them, killed them all, and left their bodies in the cabin. Herbert goes down the road. He did get directions to where his old friend was. He goes down the road and knocks on the door. Hey, yeah, remember me? It's me, Herbert, back from the old neighborhood. Oh, yeah, Herbert, how's it going? Da, da, da. They're talking to you. He also gets to the point. He says, hey, man, when you gave me pot, why'd you do that? Why'd you give me pot? That ruined my life. Like, I can't. It totally just destroyed everything about me. And the friend's like, he doesn't know how to take this, right? He's like, well, I mean, it's just weed, man. It's just weed. Like, I'm sorry that your life got all messed up. But, like, you know, it's just, I didn't mean I wasn't doing it to be evil or anything like that. Herbert shoots him. 
Herbert just opens fire on him, and this friend is wounded and begins crawling through the cabin. Now, here's the thing. At a certain point, he knows he's going to die, right? This guy who you probably knew was crazy in high school is now showing up at your house out of the blue. I'm sure his friend also probably heard three gunshots earlier, maybe 20 minutes ago, right? Didn't think anything of it. He's up in the woods. You heard three gunshots, and then all of a sudden there's a knock on your door. This guy you haven't seen for a long time. He's a lunatic. You know he's a little crazy. He starts going off on you about weed. Now he shoots you, and you figure there's, you're not going to get out of this situation alive. The problem is, is his wife is in the cabin as well. And he begins crawling through the cabin, bleeding out, yelling to his wife, hide, hide, lock the door, lock the door. And his wife is in the bathroom, and she locks the door, and she hears her husband dying in the living room. And she hears footsteps stomping through the cabin. And then the bathroom door is kicked down, and Herbert kills her as she's cowering in her bathroom. February 10th, 1973. Herbert is hitchhiking through a state park in Santa Cruz. He comes across four teenage boys camping there illegally. Now, he's a hitchhiker, right? He's totally insane. I can't imagine this guy. He probably looked like he was an insane hitchhiker. But he says, I'm a park ranger. I'm a park ranger, guys. You guys got to get lost. You're polluting the forest. Look at all this stuff. You're polluting the forest. And these four teenagers, they look at this guy. He's obviously not a park ranger. They tell him to get lost. Get out of here. And what's he going to do against four teenage boys? Herbert Mullen leaves. They continue camping through the night, having a good time. They probably, to be fair, they probably were polluting. They were probably drinking beer cans and throwing them into the woods and just being general jerks to nature. But that doesn't mean when Herbert Mullen came back the next day and shot all four of them in the head, that that was an adequate punishment. I mean, a ticket at best. But Herbert Mullen knew he had to protect the forest. So he went home, got his pistol, came back, and executed four teenagers. And while there, stole one of their rifles. So now he has a twenty-two rifle. If you thought this guy couldn't get any more dangerous. One week later, so February 17th, 1973, Herbert Mullen is driving through a neighborhood and he sees a 72-year-old man working in his garden. It's a beautiful February morning. The man working in the garden probably didn't even realize this car driving down the road busted a, an illegal U-turn right in front of his house. But whether or not he saw what was coming, it wouldn't stop Herbert Mullen from taking this 22 rifle and just shooting him, shooting the 72-year-old man in his garden, and then driving away. Now this time, people got his license plate number. As opposed to being in a church when they're like, what do the suspect look like? And you're like, well, it looked like some insane homeless man walking around. <laughs> There's a bunch of those, right? But a license plate is going to lead you right to somebody, assuming the car's not stolen. This is broad daylight in a suburban neighborhood. A guy busted a U-turn, jumped out, put the rifle across the hood of the car, aimed it, and fired it and killed this guy. The cops arrested him that day. And eventually they found out that he was connected to all of these other murders. They were so random 
You could never think they were connected. You would assume the two cabin murders were connected, but what they thought was it was a drug deal gone bad because they knew that the friend was into drugs when he executed the friend and his wife. And they figured, well, maybe this also this woman with her kids were living up in the woods. I think even they didn't know those were connected at first, although that's just bad police work. But all these other murders, the hitchhiker and Whitey, the vagrant and all this stuff, the priest getting kicked to death. There was no connection between these except for Herbert, and no one was looking at Herbert. No one was looking at the mentally ill man in the area who had been in and out of mental asylums during his life. No one was looking at that guy. He's still alive. Herbert Mullen is still alive. He's currently in prison. He's serving life. You can actually go to his website. He has his own website. The Writings of Mr. Herbert William Mullen is the website. Actually, I don't know if it's still, I don't know if it's still online. It is on archive.org. You can visit it. He's still alive. Herbert Mullen is still alive. He's 75 years old. It's a terrifying story. It's not very well known. I know some other true crime podcasts have covered it over the years. There's mentioned it on like Criminal Minds. They're like that guy's a lot like Herbert Mullen. But it's terrifying because this is it's a horror movie, right? The idea that you could be interacting with a lunatic and be saying, stay away from me, bro. Back up, dude. Why are you coming over here? But what he's hearing is, come. Take my life. Spread my guts across the soil. I give my body to you. That's terrifying. That is so horrifying. Because we, as humans, we use our words and we use body language to push away threats. Whether it be a dog and we raise our voice or we puff up our chest. Or you're at a bar, or you're walking down the street, and some kid wants to test you. You're at the local Safeway, or just driving in your car. Someone's trying to see what you're made of. You can threaten them back, right? You can use your bravado before you have to use your strength. But if the words don't work, and not even the body language works, no matter what you say, they actually think you're asking them to murder you. How do you get out of that? A terrifying story of how just random crime can be. But you asked for it. You begged him to kill you. What was he supposed to do? Herbert Mullen may be locked up. But is he the only one? With every new apocalyptic scenario out there. Every year, every month, someone is predicting the world ends today. Get ready. Get ready. The world's going to end, guys. This time, this time, the numbers are right. The prophecies are true this time. He built his own mythology of the end of the world. Nowadays, the media does it for us. Whether it be something as big as 2012 or just these into the world events we see on the X board every single month. J June 6th. June 6th, the world's going to end. I'm assuming you're listening to this podcast a couple days after June 6th. The Antichrist was supposed to show up or something like that. People had been predicting it for about two weeks. And mentally unbalanced people read those threads too. Some of them that create them, right? Some of these threads are created by mentally unbalanced people. I think a lot of them are made by pranksters or misguided people, but when you're doing this stuff, mentally ill people engage in this stuff too. And they take it far more seriously than you may have ever intended. 
society today has more end-of-the-world events in a year than most civilizations had their entire lifetime. We have more... The world will end on X day nowadays than ever before. So I don't think Herbert Mullen was a one-off killer. If anything, he might just have been ahead of the curve. We may see more of these mentally ill people taking lives to prevent a calamity. And in their mind, it works. Because the world hasn't ended yet. They saved us. Nowadays, there is no end to end-of-the-world prophecies. And there is a limitless amount of victims. How many more hitchhikers' bones are bleaching in the sun? How many more bodies remain hidden from view? Not victims of a sex-crazed pervert, not victims of a professional killer, or of a drug deal gone wrong. They're not even victims of a serial killer. But the victims of a savior. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.